This is Safe Space Radio, the show about the subjects we would struggle with less if we talked about them more. This season, we're revisiting some of our best shows from the past eight years. Today's interview with Lane Gregory is about talking to your kids about sexuality. This was the second episode of Safe Space Radio I ever recorded, back in July of 2008. At that time, Lane was the executive director of the Portland-based nonprofit Boys to Men, a violence prevention initiative. She also worked with Real Life, Real Talk, an offshoot of Planned Parenthood, aimed at helping families talk about sexuality. Lane is now a stained glass and mosaic artist at Lincoln Farm Studio in Falmouth, Maine. I chose Lane to be one of my first guests because the subject of talking to your kids about sexuality felt so important to me. I'd grown up without a puberty talk from my parents, and that silence communicated a powerful message of shame. Children learn that if you can't talk about something, it must be bad. I wanted my child to grow up with the idea that sexuality and puberty were normal parts of life that we could talk about openly. I was eager to hear stories about how parents broached the subject and what doing that well looked like. I figured there must be a lot of other parents like me who understood that it was important to talk to kids about sex, but really didn't know how. They might be uncertain about how young to start, how much information to give, and whether or not it might encourage kids to experiment before they would have otherwise. I hoped that we could talk usefully about each of these concerns. When I was teaching at Harvard Medical School before coming to Maine, I created a section of a human biology course for Harvard undergrads on human sexuality. Every year, we began the first class with introductions, where we went around the class and said how much our parents had told us about puberty and sexuality. The first time I taught the class, I assumed that by then, 20 years after I'd been an adolescent, things would have improved, the culture would have shifted, and the majority of kids would know much more about sexuality than I had at their age. But to my surprise, out of 12 students in my class, Only two of them had had a puberty talk, and both of them had a nurse for a parent. It made me realize how difficult it must be for parents to talk to kids about sexuality. Maybe it wasn't only my parents. I worked hard to create an atmosphere in the class that made it safe for the kids to ask any question they wanted. The first day of class each year, I had them write anonymous questions to me on slips of paper and promised that by the end of the semester, we would address all of them respectfully and seriously. That class was part of my inspiration for creating this radio show. Here's my 2008 conversation with Lane Gregory. My guest today is Lane Gregory. She's the executive director of Boys to Men and a member of the Real Life Real Talk Coalition and a mom of two sons. And we'll be talking about the subject of talking to your children about sexuality. Welcome, Lane. Hi, Anne. Nice to be here. Yeah, glad you're here. I want to start out by asking you, what is it about talking to your kids about sexuality that is difficult, that makes it uncomfortable? You know, I don't think there's one answer to that. Um, I can certainly talk from my own personal experience, but I think it's difficult because we grow up Uh, or grow our children up trying to establish boundaries. And we're very careful about uh, giving them privacy, um, teaching them how to take privacy. You know, I was forever telling my two boys that 
It's perfectly fine to touch your private parts. You just need to do that in your own room when you have privacy and sort of constantly setting boundaries. Um, and a lot of these are sort of culturally driven mores around what do you show, what do you don't show, when do you touch, when do you not, and trying to sort of carve out these places where it's okay to touch and it's okay to talk about. And um, it just, what happens is that I think through patterning such as this and our own upbringing, we begin to think about um, private parts and private uh, things that sex and sexuality becomes part of that domain. And it's hard to talk about. I know my parents personally didn't do a very good job. Um, I wanted to ask you that, about that, actually. <laughs> what was it like for you as a teenager? Um, well, you know, it's really interesting. I don't recall my mother or my father ever giving me the birds and the bees talk. Uh, and I remember at some point my mother talking about her disappointment that I learned about menstruation and um, what it means to be a woman in her mind from a friend, a family friend. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember that conversation. I think I would have loved to have had it with my mother, but I never did. So when I um, began menstruating in seventh grade and started having a very keen interest in boys, my parents handed me a, uh, a pictorial encyclopedia of sex and sexual acts and sort of I think this was in their mind a very liberal thing to do being parents of the 60s and they were going to sort of have this book be the answer to all of my questions. When what I was really wanting was conversation, not necessarily answers to questions. I didn't even know what my questions were, but here I was handed mm. this book that had pictures of everything in it, you know, and that in itself was pretty tantalizing, titillating, and, um, you know, we basically... Perhaps even a little daunting yeah. to a seventh grader. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and then I, I know that the book was handed down to my siblings as they reached uh -huh. uh, puberty as well. Yeah. So you, it sounds like both you and your mom wished for conversation. She was disappointed that she didn't get to tell you about getting your period. Yeah. And you had a wish too, and yet there was a way that it, despite that mutual wishing, it somehow didn't quite happen. Right, right. I, I think as certainly growing up in the 60s and 70s, there was a real... Um, well, it's sort of funny. I grew up in California, so there was this sort of free love um, generation thing going on. My father was very involved in working with young people against the war, and, you know, we had, you know, love and peace signs all over our house, and mm -hmm. it was sort of part of the culture, but it was sort of, that was okay to talk about, but as soon as you started getting into the area of sex and sexuality, there's sort of overt and covert messages that this is just not something we talk about. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even know how to approach her and say, gee, I'd like to talk about this. Or, Right. And you talk about conveying the importance of privacy and respecting privacy. I wonder if parents are feeling then a wish not to violate their child's privacy, how to respect it in not going there. Yeah, I think that's certainly part of it. At least it was for my husband, Daniel, and I. Um, but it's also not, for us, it was part of not wanting to recognize the boys as growing up and and mm. needing this information. Um, for us, what was sort of the, the, the kick in the pants was that they began the sex and sexuality education in Falmouth Public Schools um, in the fourth grade. And uh -huh. they had 
a, a night for parents to come and be oriented to their curriculum. And it was very clear that they were going to be talking about some things, but they were going to be leaving other things for parents to talk about, like homosexuality and birth control and you know pregnancy. They would talk about sort of the mechanics of sex. They weren't talking about sexuality, which I think are two very different things. And mm. they were not going to be talking about anything that could be in the danger zone um, and sort of fly up against other people's various value um, systems or differences. Mm -hmm. So we realized that we needed to start having a conversation that went along with the boys' sex education. Right. So if you remember back to that time and getting clear that you wanted to do that, yeah. uh, how was it for you when, the first time when you really did broach the subject with your son, and how did it go? Well, you know, it's really interesting. My husband was really wanted to have the talk with the boys, and I was actually kind of envious because I really wanted to, too. But we sort of talked about it, and he sort of felt like this was an important thing for a man to talk to a boy about. And um, so he talked to our first son, Noah, and I think he was worried about giving Noah too much information because mm. what he started talking about was, um, uh, actually, I think the question came from Noah. Noah asked, how do babies get inside um, mother's bellies, and how do they come out? And Daniel started talking about how frogs um, <laughs> <laughs> reproduce, and he was talking about um, basically external, um, what was he calling it, external fertilization. And, uh, <laughs> and he didn't want to go to the internal fertilization yet. So he was explaining to Noah in some detail, probably way more detail than Noah ever wanted, about, you know, the male frog coming over the female and squirting out the sperm which go into the eggs that she's already laid and that that's sort of how it happens and of course Noah still had his lingering question he said yeah okay dad I understand that but how does the baby get inside the mother's belly right and how does it come out and you know he came back and he it was almost like this funny stage thing. He came back and said, you know, Noah's still asking this question. What do you think I should do? And I said, tell him. You know, give hmm. him a little bit of information. You don't have to tell him everything. I guess what's hard to know, and this was when Noah was fairly young. He was, this is probably when he was four he was asking these questions. You, know, you can give the amount of information that kids need. Um, you don't have to go into all the details. So it would have been perfectly sufficient. It turned out to be sufficient to tell Noah that he got in my belly because... We loved each other very much, and the and part of loving each other is deciding to have a baby together. And the way in which the, the mothers make the eggs inside what's called the uterus, and the dad sends the sperm through his penis. And they didn't have to even, I mean, that was like enough for Noah. He didn't mm -hmm. need to know about, we didn't have to call it intercourse. We didn't have to, and then when he was a little bit older, we could fill in some of the the gaps with a little bit more information. Mm -hmm. I can imagine that for some people, knowing how much information, you know, it sounds like you got clear that was what he really needed. He didn't need more, but I wonder, how do you think parents can have a sense of how much is enough information? What's a, what's a way that you sense that? You know, it's a really hard thing to gauge, and I don't want to come across like I'm an expert because I'm still learning how to do it, and mm -hmm. I tend to err on the side of giving the boys way more information than they want, and it turns oh. into a lecture. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so when I'm at my best, which is usually not always with my children, but with other children, because <laughs> right. I'm really thinking carefully about how do I do this, um, and not as emotionally invested, uh, I think about what's the simplest amount of information that just answers the question. And that is what I say. Mm-hmm. And it, I say it as openly and honestly and directly as I can. And what will naturally follow is if the child has more information that they want, they'll ask that question. Mm-hmm. Um, if you make it perfectly okay to ask the questions, that's what's really, I think, the most important thing is creating an environment where children feel safe to ask questions. Yeah. Tell um, us a little bit about how you did that and what you know about doing that. Oh, you know, oh, gosh, it was different with each one of my children. Um but trying to simply, when they asked questions, rather than dodge it, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there have been some questions that we dodged, particularly like around our own personal recreational drug use growing up, and we didn't know how to answer those questions. And, you know, and I was not direct about answering those. But um, the other questions, we just decided early on that if the kids were asking them that there was some need to know. and. And um, so it's always been okay to ask questions. I guess I ask a lot of questions. In fact, the boys now at 18 and 21, they have for the last few years been telling me, Mom, you ask way more questions than anyone else. You have way more information than any other mom. And <laughs> I just I shouldn't be talking to you about this. Um, so I've always asked questions, and it makes it okay for them to ask questions, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you keep it mutual in a way. Yeah. What do mm-hmm. you think? Yeah, I think responding each time is communicating a message that this is really talk-aboutable. Yeah. And uh, responding to their readiness, trusting that, that if they're asking, they're ready right. to hear an answer. Yeah. Or there's some need there. Yeah. Um, this is uh, Safe Space. My name is Dr. Ann, and my guest today is Lane Gregory, the Executive Director of Boys to Men and a Coalition member of Real Life, Real Talk. And we're talking mm-hmm. about... Uh, talking to your children about sexuality. And we're going to stay a little longer with the subject of what tends to make it complicated or uncomfortable for parents. And you've mentioned privacy, and you've mentioned um, not wanting to recognize that they might be growing up. Mm-hmm. You've also mentioned maybe a little discomfort about having to answer personal questions mm-hmm. about yourself. <clears throat> I wanted to address the fear that I know many families have about if I talk to them about it, Will I be giving them tacit permission to go ahead? Will they have sex earlier if I make the subject something we can talk about? Tell me, did you struggle with that concern, and what do you know about that? Um, I, I know mostly from the data and from literature that shows that in households where parents talk openly and freely about sex and sexuality, that there's actually less likelihood that children will engage in those kinds of physical relationships at an age before they feel ready or the mm-hmm. parents feel they're ready. In households where it's not talked about and it's sort of a, a taboo to talk about it or there's discomfort around it, there's no evidence that that actually suppresses sexual activity in, in young people. And I know personally from my own experience the fact that my parents didn't talk to me much about it didn't have any bearing on my holding back, believe me. Um, I got sexually involved earlier than, than a lot of kids. So the, um, and I, as 
you know, you know, my conversation about that was um, my father sensing that I was involved with this boy for a couple of years, when eighth and ninth grade, and was madly in love with him. And he had this, uh, I always thought it was sort of, he could read my mind in some way, which is my adolescent um, thinking. But he came up to me and he said at some point, you know, I, I bet you and Mike are feeling uh, sometimes like you really want to get become quite physically intimate. And I just want to let you know that, you know, should you have this urge, there's the, there's really no better response um, to sex than, or wanting to have sex than abstinence. And mm -hmm. um, I immediately went down to the drugstore and began looking for it on the shelves. I thought, wow, you know, abstinence, that sounds, my father says that it's a good protection against pregnancy, then it must be. So, uh, but we, that was the extent of the conversation. And um, it certainly You didn't. literally went to the shelves yes, and I looked did. for a product I did. named I, Abstinence. And to even um, take my humiliation a little bit farther, I, when I didn't find it on the shelves, I figured it might be prescription drugs. So I asked the pharmacist if it was <laughs> something that I needed a prescription for. So, um, what did the pharmacist say? Uh, he didn't understand what I said at first, and then he just began laughing. Um, mm. And at that point, um, I realized that there was something wrong, and I was very embarrassed and left yeah. the drugstore. So that's where he felt humiliated. Yeah. That you didn't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, I think parents are afraid, and I think it's natural. I think um, that, but the problem is, is that kids, particularly growing up, in this time and in this culture are so aware of sex and sexuality and there's so many messages and there's so so many ways in which definitions of masculinity and femininity are sexualized mm. starting at a very early age i mean it doesn't all you have to do is go into any children's clothing store and um you see little girls clothing which is um, very lacy, it might say on her butt, you know, this is the booty. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> just, there's stuff that, and kids pick up these messages. They're not immune. And because we're not talking about it doesn't mean that they aren't getting it. So the problem is, and this is where Real Life Real Talk comes in, is that children are already getting all of this information about sex and sexuality and relationships. And but it's not the information that we necessarily want them to have. Mm. And if it's not coming from parents, um, then more than likely it's not the information that they really need and that's good for them. Um, mm -hmm. So we want parents to talk more about it. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. They'll get it from the media. or They do. Just like with your mom, you heard it from someone else. Right. And that was a loss for her. Right. Yeah. Other things that occur to me... Um, parents fear about disease, pregnancy, non-consensual sex. I mean, things that parents really are afraid about that they want to help prevent. Mm -hmm. um, and are there data about whether opening that the subject with your kids really does help in preventing things that parents don't want for their kids? Um, there is data about that. And um, there's a lot of information on uh, the Real Life Real Talk website, and there's probably more sort of research-based information on Planned Parenthood website that you could go to if anybody who's listening was interested. But um, essentially what the data shows is that if you give kids information 
about birth control, about protection against from SDDs, or now called, I guess, SDIs, is that right? Um, sexually transmitted uh, infections, that um, they will actually use that information, but if they don't have it, they can't use it, and they're much more at risk. In fact, uh -huh. particularly with, I mean, you're probably aware of this, AIDS is now um, increasing in the adolescent population at much higher rates than in any other population in this country. And more and more teenagers are coming down because they don't have the information. Mm -hmm. We began um, talking with our boys, again, early on. This was when they were um, in fourth grade and started getting the sex education course. We complemented that with our own conversation about things like pregnancy, about sexuality, intimacy, STDs, and we came up with what we called the five guidelines. Mm -hmm. And um, Why don't you tell us what those are? Well, for us, they came in really handy. In fact, I still bring them up now to my 19 and 21-year-olds. But we talked about five guidelines um, for getting uh, intimately involved with a partner. And the first one was that you should always protect against pregnancy. The second was that you should always protect against sexually transmitted infections or then diseases, and that those two things are not the same. Uh, that mm -hmm. you can't just buy wear a rubber condom and be protected from AIDS. That there are uh, that there are much more careful precautions that you need to take. Um, that you need to always have consent with your partner, and it's really impossible to have consent if. Um, one or both of you have been consuming any kinds of substances, alcohol, marijuana, drugs, and so it you cannot have consent um, under the influence. We said that if your partner is female and should she get pregnant, that the decision to continue the pregnancy or not was completely hers, mm -hmm. that it was her body, that she may or may not want our son's input and that should she decide to have a baby, he needed to be prepared to be a father. Huh. And um, then the last one was that your father and I have always found that uh, sex and sexuality was best and um, when it was between two loving partners and in a committed relationship. Mm -hmm. And we think you will probably find the same. I've actually someone recommended to me a sixth since then, um, but we didn't have it, but I thought it was a great one to add, and that was that um, masturbation is okay. Mm -hmm. So how did your kids react to those five guidelines? Oh, well, at first they were sort of intrigued um, by it. Um, I think they probably thought it was, you know, powerful information because we were talking about things that weren't being talked about in other areas of their life, certainly their friends. Um, now they sort of roll their eyes. Um, <laughs> and uh, Because they've heard them so often or because yes, why? Yes, because they've heard it so often. Uh, and, uh, you know, they will still at Christmas get, you know, a package of condoms from Santa. And uh, we often review guidelines when they go off world traveling. And uh, our oldest son has actually been traveling for the last six months, and so we'll occasionally talk about that so mm -hmm. and so they roll their eyes and they laugh and yet they don't find it to be somehow 
they're not really offended or angry with you or feel like it's an intrusion on their privacy? No, they don't. And although they haven't come out and said, Mom, I really appreciate that you've always given me these five guidelines, um, <laughs> right. I really think that um, it has created an atmosphere where I've given them permission to talk to me about things that I think maybe they might not have felt permissible to talk about mm -hmm. if I had if we hadn't been talking about that and I do know personally that just from talking with my friends that our boys are very open uh, about their lives and their relationships and sex and sexuality not to an in inappropriate place but they will come to us with questions mm -hmm. and um, I really appreciate that and so that's sort of the answer for me yeah yeah, and what strikes me is that so often I think as parents in the wish to delay their children's sexual activity, they communicate messages of either shame or fear mm -hmm. as a hope that those will be powerful That's deterrents. Exactly right. And I'm struck that these guidelines are not about shame or fear, but they are ultimately about finding the right context and waiting until you have that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the right relationship. Yeah. So we're going to need to wrap up in a few minutes. I wondered if we might end by just asking you to tell us a little bit more about Real Life, Real Talk. Sure. Real Life, Real Talk is a wonderful initiative that is has been funded um, nationally. There are four demonstration projects in Portland um, was the most successful. It's a, an initiative that was originally organized by Planned Parenthood but now is uh, basically... Uh, includes a lot of youth and family-serving organizations throughout the area. And it's really to focus in on giving parents the information, the permission, whatever it is that they need to feel empowered to have these kinds of conversations with their children about sex and sexuality. So we are working um, together to find more effective ways to build this conversation into the programs that we're all each already providing. Mm -hmm. um, Real Life Real Talk is coordinated by this wonderful woman named Lauren Graust, and Lauren has trained a lot of folks to facilitate what's called sex education for parent courses, and there are a number of them that are always going on in the community. Maine Medical Center is hosting several this fall. There are a bunch of them going on. And if anybody wanted to attend a sex ed for parents course, which is really about how do we talk to our children, in particular our adolescents, about these issues. And they have a website, and you can just go to Real Life Real Talk or Google it. And so realliferealtalk.org? Yes. Great. I encourage people to go check that out on the web. Lane, thank you so much for coming. That was my 2008 interview with social worker Lane Gregory. If you are looking for resources to help you talk to your kids about sexuality, I recommend this website from Canada, parents.teachingsexualhealth.ca. That's parents.teachingsexualhealth.ca. They have wonderful printable handouts and suggestions for how to talk to your kids at each age, and you can find that link at our website. If you want to hear any of our past shows about the subjects we hide, visit safespaceradio.com. While you're there, please subscribe to our email list to find out about each week's new show as soon as it's released. Also, leave us a comment. I love hearing from you. My thanks to Gabe Graben for producing the show and to Jim Russell for being our editorial advisor. Mm -hmm.